This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 12. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, what's the right way to make form objections in a deposition? There are lots of opinions about how to do it, but what's the right way? Is it form? Just the word form? Does that count? Will it protect you? Should you add the type of objection? Or better yet, must you add the type of objection? So should the objection be form leading, form compound, form hearsay? Or is that coaching? Well, it depends on who you ask. Some judges say you should limit your objection to the word form alone. Others, many judges say that if that's all you do, you've actually waived your objection because you haven't alerted the opposing lawyer to the purported defect in their question that would allow them to cure it. The judges that follow this view take the position that you've got to state the specific basis because that's the very purpose for requiring an objection during the deposition, to put the examining lawyer on notice of a potential flaw so that he or she can determine whether or not to rephrase the question. A third view articulated in some of the cases is that the best way to deal with this is simply for the participating lawyers to decide in advance how form objections should be expressed, to figure out ahead of time and reach agreement whether the examining lawyer wants you to explicitly state the basis for the form objection or just say the word form and let the examining lawyer decide whether, in response to a specific objection, they want to know the precise legal ground. To be sure, many lawyers don't want these specific grounds stated because of its suggestive power to the deponent. For example, when a defending lawyer says objection calls for speculation, what's the witness going to say next? Of course, I can't answer that because I'd be speculating. Objection asked and answered is likely to motivate the witness to answer what? You already asked me that. So some lawyers naturally get a little cranky if you add the specific basis for the objection. And lengthy technical objections can greatly impede the flow of the testimony. For example, Objection to the form, leading, foundation, and compound. Now that might take up just four or five seconds, which isn't a big chunk of your lifespan, but with enough five-second interruptions during a deposition, the flow can be ruined. And of course, some lawyers express objections in the most verbose way, specifically to interrupt your flow. Not coaching, but a legitimate objection expressed in an illegitimate way. So what do the judges say about the right way to express your form objection? Unsurprisingly, they go back and forth, although they tend to say either reach agreement between the lawyers to rely on the objection form only, just the word form, for purposes of the deposition, or failing that, that you've got to state the legal basis to avoid a ruling later that you've waived your objection by failing to state the specific ground at the time that the objection was made. Okay, let's go through some key decisions, and then I'll share my thoughts and tell you what I do. First, if you ask Miami Federal Judge William Matthewman, the answer is going to be objection, form, leading is the proper method because he says in his May 5, 2017 ruling, quote, an objection which merely states form shall be deemed to be no objection and waived by the party making the objection. So his view is the failure to state the legal basis for the objection waives the objection. In that order, Judge Matthewman looked at rulings from other states in his analysis, and he concluded that nowhere in the federal rules does it say a lawyer is forbidden from stating the legal basis for the objection. So he ruled that a lawyer forfeits the objection if the specific ground isn't articulated. His reasoning? 
Here's the quote. A procedure where an attorney can simply state objection form repeatedly during a deposition without specifying the specific nature of the form defect is wholly inefficient, fails to alert the questioning lawyer to the specific defect in the question, and allows the objecting lawyer to subsequently conjure up numerous reasons why the form was improper months or years later in a motion to strike or a motion to exclude the deposition testimony. The court then has to rule on these motions when the entire issue could have been avoided by a proper, specific form objection and rephrasing of the question by the examining lawyer at the time of the deposition, end quote. That May 5, 2017 order contains a pretty good summary of the federal rules and their meaning about the proper way to make objections in depositions, and it's well worth a read if you want to look into this further. The case is Vargas, V-A-R-G-A-S versus Florida Crystals Corporation, 2017 Westlaw 186-1775, federal case number 16-81399-CV, Southern District of Florida, 2016. In a case out of the Middle District of Georgia, a federal district judge reached the same conclusion, saying that merely chanting form without more is meaningless. In that case, U.S. District Judge Clay Land, in his August 14, 2014 order, had the following to say. And keep in mind that he's addressing this in the context of his ruling on other various deposition designation objections as that case got close to trial. So Judge Land says, quote, Most of the remaining deposition designation objections are meritless, so meritless that they don't deserve further discussion. But one issue does need additional elaboration. Judge Land says, Counsel for defendant generally announces during the various depositions that he objects based on, quote, form. This objection is meaningless, standing alone, and is contrary to what is contemplated by the federal rules of civil procedure. Any objections that a party wishes to make at a deposition must be concisely stated on the record when the deposition is taken. And he cites Federal Rule uh, 30C2. Continuing, quote, But not all objections have to be made at the time of deposition. Generally, only an objection that would alert the questioner of a ground for objection that could be corrected during the deposition itself. And he says, if that's the case, if it's something that's correctable, it has to be made at the time of deposition. And in this point, he cites uh, Federal Rule 32 d 3b. Okay, continuing with his order, he says, quote, simply stating objection to form does not necessarily preserve the objection. When objection to form does not indicate what is wrong with the form so that the questioner can correct the problem, it becomes nothing more than a statement that the objector finds the question objectionable. Allowing a litigator to file an extensive brief after the fact, elaborating in great detail what was wrong with the form of the question when he failed to give the questioner at the deposition any clue as to the deficiencies in the question, would be inconsistent with Rule 32 and contrary to resolving an action in a just, speedy, and inexpensive manner. Finally, Judge Land writes, Having thoroughly reviewed all of defendants' deposition designation objections, the court overrules those objections where counsel failed to object when an objection could have been made giving opposing counsel an opportunity to correct the problem and overrules those objections that simply stated, quote, objection to form, close quote, but did not elaborate to apprise opposing counsel of the problem with the question so that he could reasonably fix it by rephrasing the question. 
All right, that case is Henderson versus BNB Precast and Pipe Inc. Case number 4 colon 13 CV 528 out of the Middle District of Georgia, August 14, 2014. Next uh, case up is the widely cited case, Security National Bank of Sioux City, Iowa versus Abbott Laboratories, 292 Federal Rules of Decision 595 out of the Northern District of Iowa, July 28, 2014. All right, same outcome. In addressing a situation where form objections had been made more than 100 times in the deposition, the district judge ruled that simply saying form is not proper and does not preserve the objection. So let's go to the ruling, and this is from Judge Mark Bennett, where he says that in his view, saying form is like saying improper. He says, quote, It does no more than vaguely suggest that the objector takes issue with the question. It is not itself a ground for objection, nor does it preserve any objection. Instead, he says, form objections refer to a category of objections, which includes objections to leading questions, lack of foundation, assuming facts not in evidence, mischaracterization or misleading question, non-responsive answer, lack of personal knowledge, testimony by counsel, speculation, asked and answered, argumentative question, and witnesses' answers that are beyond the scope of the question. The judge goes on to say that many lawyers, and even courts for that matter, assume that uttering the word form is enough to make a valid objection, and he says it simply isn't. He adds that this belief apparently comes from terminology used in Federal Rule 30C2, which speaks of making objections concisely and in a non-argumentative and non-suggestive manner. Judge Bennett says, quote, But these rules do not endorse the notion that form is a freestanding objection. They simply describe categories of objections, like those to the form of a question that must be noted during a deposition. He says nothing about the text of Rules 30 or 32 suggests that a lawyer preserves the universe of form objections simply by saying objective form. In this particular decision, the judge cites other cases as well that suggest citing the specific legal basis for the objection is okay, but he says he would go even further and take the position that lawyers are required, not just permitted, to state the basis for their objections saying that a generic form objection makes it impossible for a judge to determine the actual basis for the objection at the time it was made. And in kind of a comical note, he says this, requiring lawyers to state the basis for their objections is not the same as requiring, quote, speaking objections, close quote, in which lawyers amplify or argue the basis for their objections. For example, he says, objection hearsay is a proper objection. By contrast, objection the last assertion by Mr. Jones was an out-of-court statement by Ms. Day set in the hotel room that Mr. Jones <laughs> allegedly heard that he had never testified to before in a deposition and is now being offered for the truth of Mr. Day's statement, close quote, is an improper speaking objection. The judge says, I have always required the former and always barred the latter. Okay. Now, I was provided a transcript of a mid-deposition court hearing in a federal court case, and this is not a reported order, that somewhat goes the other way on what's appropriate to say. In this particular case, the plaintiff's lawyer called a halt to the deposition in order to call the federal judge to complain about speaking objections by the defense lawyer. And to give you an example, the lawyer had been saying things like, objection, speculation, I'm instructing the witness not to speculate. Kind of a cross between coaching, 
and a flat instruction not to answer the question. So the federal judge, who had to step out of a jury trial to resolve the squabble, according to the transcript, ordered the defense lawyer to say form when objecting, and not one more word, failing which, he said, he would sanction the lawyer. So that seems to cut against the cases that say you've got to state the basis to preserve your objection. But this is a little different because the judge was essentially blessing the one-word form objection for that case in order to bring a swift halt to the disruptions. Uh, to be clear, the judge did not say that this is the law generally or the only proper approach. This was more pure dispute resolution on the spot. But I did want to point it out. Uh, finally, for purposes of this episode, I offer the case of Otis versus Demaris, D-E-M-A-R-A-S-S-E, 399 F SUP 759, Eastern District of Wisconsin, 2019. Facing the same issue, U.S. District Judge William Griesbach tries to reconcile the varying views by saying the following, quote, When an attorney decides to assert such an objection, referring to form objections, it is generally safest just to state, quote, I object to the form of the question, close quote, or, quote, objection form, close quote, assuming opposing counsel is in agreement that by so limiting his objection, counsel is not waiving the more specific objections, such as vague or leading. And the judge acknowledges the body of cases that say that you've got to state the specific basis by adding the following in his order. Quote, asking for the agreement of counsel is important because not all courts agree that merely objecting to the form of the question without stating the specific defect in the form is going to preserve the issue. Going on, he says, limiting one's objections to the form of the question when opposing counsel so requests will avoid the risk of being accused of making so-called speaking objections, which instruct the witness how to answer the question. And it leaves to opposing counsel the choice whether to ask for a more specific basis for the objection so that he can either cure the defect in the question or, if none exists, demonstrate the lack of any basis for the objection in the first place. Unless it is obvious the objection is baseless, opposing counsel should normally avail himself of the opportunity to ask for clarification. Indeed, without greater specificity, review by a court may be of little value. Okay, those are some of the key cases on this issue. And if you pull up those decisions, you'll find lots of great case sites within them as well. My view? I agree with Judge Griesbach in the Otis decision I just quoted. As between you and the opposing lawyer, You've either got to reach agreement with the opposing lawyer that the word form alone will suffice, or you've got to state the specific basis. If you don't have agreement that the word form alone will do it, you run the serious risk of waiving those objections, meaning that saying the word form alone will not protect you. All right. Now, as between you and the presiding judge, if you have a judge who believes you have to state the legal basis for the objection, I think you're going to be fine if you have that express agreement with an opposing lawyer. The agreement by an examining lawyer to use of the word form alone is essentially a waiver of that lawyer's grounds to object because you didn't add something more to the word form. Now, here are a couple of ideas if you remain concerned, notwithstanding your agreement with the other participating lawyers, if you remain concerned that the presiding judge might not buy into your agreement and might hold you responsible for failing to state the legal basis, you could put something, if you're in federal court, in the joint report of parties planning meeting, the Form 52, 
that we use in federal court to lay out deadlines and other issues, you could put something in there that says the parties have agreed to limit their objections to the word form alone during depositions. As you know, the judges have to approve those proposed scheduling reports, and that approval in their final scheduling and mediation order essentially makes the terms of the joint report an order of the court, so you'd be safe that way. You can use the report of parties planning meeting for all kinds of things, and this is a perfect example of something that you can put in there if you have agreement, or even if you don't, you can at least propose it. Um, so that's an excellent vehicle for uh, addressing this issue of how objections should be made in upcoming depositions. If you're not in federal court or if you've already submitted the report of parties planning meeting so you can't use that as your vehicle for this issue, you could simply file a motion with your court, perhaps a joint motion, proposing the same thing and seeking court approval. Using either of these kinds of options, you'll at least know in advance for sure that what you're doing in terms of how you object is going to protect your rights. I also think that if you're going to limit the objection to the word form, you ought to make it clear that only saying the word form is enough, not object to the form, not objection as to the form, because those longer phrases can be just as disruptive as speaking objections. So the word form alone will do the trick. Now, for me, I'm okay with a lawyer simply making the objection form. Honestly, I understand that some lawyers might want the specific basis for the objection stated, but I don't. Even the word form causes some disruption in the flow of the testimony. I know if there's something wrong with my question. Now, here's a practice pointer. If you're new to practice, sometimes requiring an opposing lawyer, a defending lawyer, to state the legal basis for the objection can be a great training tool. A skilled lawyer will help you sharpen your focus through their objections. So, in some occasions, if you are, again, a relatively new litigator, requiring the opposing lawyer to state the legal basis can be of some value to you. And frankly, sometimes lawyers will demand the legal basis anyway, even skilled lawyers, because sometimes as you listen to those form objections, you get the sense that the opposing lawyer is just littering up your examination with bogus objections and calling them out on the basis can sometimes bring a halt to that. Now, there are a couple of reasons why I don't want lawyers uh, stating the basis, the technical basis for their objection. One is that it does disrupt the flow. But another is that sometimes I might purposely frame a question that isn't technically proper because it's just easier to ask a single shortcut question than it is to ask five questions that lay some technically proper foundation. So in those circumstances, if I'm just trying to get to the point and I draw a form objection, I don't really care. I don't care what the basis is. It's very rare that I want to hear an opposing lawyer talk about their objections or explain to me what the basis is. I don't need it. So form works just fine for me and likely for you as well. Now, of course, if I ask a particularly critical question in a somewhat loose way and I draw a form objection, then I will break it down into appropriate component pieces. I'll rephrase the questions to make sure I've laid a proper foundation and that there aren't any issues. Sometimes even when I do that, I get form objections from a lawyer who either doesn't know what they're doing or knows exactly what they're doing. And at that point, I will continue to ignore them unless the form objections become abusive. And you'll see in some of these cases, like the Security National Bank of Sioux City case, sometimes lawyers will disrupt your depositions, even with the word form alone. 115 times in that case, 50 to 75 times in some of the cases cited in that decision, 
and in other decisions I've seen more than 200 times have lawyers made form objections. And so you can see that even that can become a tool for abuse and you've got to put a stop to it. For my purposes, I have absolute zero tolerance for shenanigans when I'm questioning witnesses. And you should too. Frankly, I see some of these reported decisions where an examining lawyer complained after the defending lawyer made 150, 200, 250 form objections. Frankly, I don't know how they get that far down the road before they put a halt to it or involve a judge. I wouldn't tolerate that for one second. If I sense that I'm getting junk objections early in the deposition, I'm going to take a break and talk to the opposing lawyer about it. And when I say take a break, I don't mean off the record. 100% of that conversation is going to be captured on the transcript. But I've got to stop that lawyer from doing that as soon as I see that it's going to become a problem. I can't wait until the lawyer's done it 150 times. Got to stop that deposition while the court reporter's still typing and say, look, you've either got to stop doing that or I'm going to halt the deposition and seek a protective order under Rule 30D3 if I'm in federal court. Or I'm going to pause the deposition and get the judge or the magistrate on the phone right now and ask for help. There's no way I'm going to allow a lawyer to do that in my depositions. Look, I'm famous for saying that depositions are the new trial because so few cases actually wind up in a courtroom, and so depositions are the only place where most witnesses ever testify. And I mean it. I try a lot of cases, but my trials are still just a percentage of my overall caseload. Most cases settle. Even when you want to try a case, it'll often settle because of the party's wishes. So that deposition testimony, that environment has to be pure. I've got to be able to question the witness without interference from an opposing lawyer. Like I said, I don't know how some of these lawyers let a defending lawyer make so many objections before they finally decide to pull the plug. If you let the defending lawyer make that many objections, I suspect that much of your testimony will have been ruined or that your witness, the deponent, will have become so emboldened by the opposing lawyer's misconduct that your deposition is simply going to be out of control. So even if an opposing lawyer is simply using the word form, if it's clear to you that the lawyer is making form objections far more than is necessary in an abusive way, you've got to put a stop to that behavior immediately, or you're going to lose control of the deposition. You've got one shot in almost every case to get good testimony from a particular witness and to pin that witness down. And my view is if a defending lawyer wouldn't engage in whatever conduct they're engaging in in front of a judge, they're not going to do it in my deposition. No way. And not in yours either. All right, that's it for this episode. As always, thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, give us five stars. And be sure to check out the book, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever you get your books.